0: Every day nurses relate on a personal level with their patients. It can certainly be a rewarding interaction, but too often, when patients and or their visitors are unhappy, nurses bear the brunt of the anger, which too often turns to violence. What administrative resources and legislative efforts protect our safety for nurses and for other healthcare workers? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment focused on healthcare policy. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Shu, practicing general pediatrician and author. Our guests are Dr. Diana Mason, registered nurse and editor-in-chief of the American Journal of Nursing, and Charlene Richardson, registered nurse and advocate for workplace safety. Welcome, Dr. Mason and Ms. Richardson. Thank you. Today we're discussing workplace safety in healthcare settings. Dr. Mason, can you talk a little bit about what facilities can do to try to prevent violence in the workplace?
1: One is, is fairly obvious, and that is having adequate security And this includes in emergency departments where you often have victims of violence arrive in the emergency department and there may be the perpetrators may be coming in after them to finish the job, so to speak. And it just can often be a volatile situation. Obviously, on psychiatric units, I have heard from nurses who said our units are not safe. We are in lockdown and yet we're left up here with no security in case violence does happen. So hospitals have to provide adequate security. But I think there is this idea of making sure that our institutions are being respectful places all around, and the Joint Commission for Accreditation of Healthcare Facilities has issued new regulations that will go into place in January, calling for every institution to have a code of conduct, and that code of conduct applies to the behavior of employees within that organization, and I believe that's where this has to start, that if we're expecting patients and family members to be respectful and to not be abusive physically, or emotionally. We need to not have a work environment where they witness abusive behavior going on all the time among staff. So I think this may help quite a bit. Hospitals can put up no violence signs. Hospitals can have a written policy on what do we do? Is this institution saying we will do to try to prevent violence from occurring here? And what steps will we take when it happens? And I think that Charlene Richardson has some real concrete examples of how the Massachusetts Nurses Association has been trying to do this with hospitals.
0: So, Ms. Richardson, once somebody, a nurse or administrator, recognizes the problem of workplace violence, how do they take it to the next level and and advocate for legislative changes?
2: I've been met and kind of stonewalled on this issue to the extent where I kind of feel like I've fallen on the sword a bit with my workplace violence experience. What I can tell you is through our union, we have drafted union contract language that stipulates specific actions that employers must take to prevent workplace violence, including increasing security measures, better lighting, escorts for nurses to the parking lot on the night shifts, a process for documenting and responding to workplace violence, and the requirement to develop a detailed program to prevent it from occurring. And we've also done things at the legislative level also.
0: Ms. Richardson again, have you found the legislature to be receptive to your concerns?
2: I have not, and that concerns me.
0: Dr. Mason, what has your experience been with legislatures?
2: I've not been actively
1: involved in trying to push legislation and regulations around this issue. I actually would be interested in why Charlene thinks they've not responded and whether there is enough pushback from the hospitals to not have policies mandated that the legislature is going along with that.
0: Ms. Richardson, why do you think they're not being responsive, and what could change that?
2: Well, first of all, a lot of the problems that we have and the lateral violence that goes on and the stressful environment that we have and that we live and breathe daily is hole in pot due to unsafe staffing, which the legislature has looked at but not reacted in a way that is conducive to change. Secondly, I have been on the front line with trying to be involved with legislation that would allow for a safer work environment for nurses to include a workplace violence prevention bill that did move along and got to Senate Ethics and Rules this year which was definite movement however it's gone nowhere this year so we'll have to refile it next year and more importantly have been very actively involved in filing an assault bill At the level of the legislature, and I have been involved in that for five years, and I cannot even get that out of committee. Now, this is a non-controversial bill that just changes the present law and just increases the safety for nurses and adds them to a present law that protects EMTs and firefighters out of the hospital, and then it brings the safety into the hospital for the nurses with regard to assault in the workplace
1: and Dr. Shu if I could point out that I think what may be a factor here may actually be some gender discrimination. We know in New York City, nurses here have been trying to get designated a physically hazardous profession, as firemen and policemen are, because nursing has almost the same rate of injury, physical injury, as well as they're exposed, of course, to infectious diseases and other kinds of, of hazards in the workplace, including violence. And so they wanted to get the city to, and the state has to do it as well, to pass a new policy saying that nurses would be considered having hazardous duty and would be able to retire after 25 years in the New York City health care system. And unlike firemen and policemen, the nurses were willing to bear the burden, the full cost of this change, so they would just proactively pay more into their own pension and be able to retire at 25. They've been unable to get that passed. And I'm convinced that it's because we're predominantly women's profession still, and we are not seen with the same power. Even though there are more of us, there are three million nurses in this country, we do have voting power, but I don't think that we're seen in the same light as male-dominated professions.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to a special segment, Focus on Healthcare Policy on ReachMD XM 157. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu. Our guests are Dr. Diana Mason, Registered Nurse and Editor-in-Chief of the American Journal of Nursing, and Charlene Richardson, Registered Nurse and Advocate for Workplace Safety. We're discussing workplace safety in healthcare settings. Dr. Mason, you're talking about hazardous pay and gender disparities. What about actually placing police officers in the hospital setting?
1: Well, actually, that's what some hospitals and very high crime ridden areas have done. Usually, though, they hire their own security. There are conflicts around that, though, too. Hospitals have to have really good policies, or else. In some situations, the security people have actually interfered with care when they should not have. But I think it's a must for hospitals to make sure that they have a secure, safe environment. And if that means hiring additional security, they need to do that. However, if you're talking about hiring more staff, I think they should look very carefully at, do we have this problem because we don't have adequate nurse staffing? If we had better nurse staffing, which, by the way, we have the research to show that adding more RNs does not necessarily cost the hospital more in the long run that you can actually save money by hiring some more RNs. And so if you're going to add security, you you really should give thought to, why do we have such a violent situation? Is it because our nurse staffing isn't adequate, and should we try to do something about that first and some other develop good policies around preventing and managing violence?
0: Ms. Richardson, in, in your experience, has inadequate staffing contributed to workplace violence?
2: Absolutely. I have to agree with you 100%. Yes, I would answer that. Absolutely.
0: So other than advocating for staffing changes, are there guidelines that hospitals can follow or resources that they can turn to to try to make improvements in the situation? Ms. Richardson again.
2: From the perspective of the nursing union, the Mass Nurses Association, the largest nursing union in the state, we spend enormous, resources educating the nursing community that workplace violence is not acceptable, it's not part of the job. They the nurses can call nine one one and they can demand to be safe. And we, we're always looking to work with the hospitals. And there are hospitals out there that do a great job with this, but they're the minority right now and we want to make them the majority. So maybe spotlighting those hospitals that are doing a great job is the answer.
0: Dr. Mason, do you feel that there are different challenges for large hospitals versus smaller office-based practices, and what would they be?
1: I think more so it has to do with the communities that these hospitals and practices are located in. I think any practice in a high-crime area is at risk. And you need to pay very close attention to how will the crime in our community spill over into this practice, whether a hospital or an office-based practice. However, I also think that particularly larger hospitals are so bureaucratic and there are so many problems that they have to deal with that this often is low on their scale of interest, although There are some very top-performing hospitals that are large hospitals that have safe, secure environments and good, safe workplaces. I think some smaller community hospitals, actually, there is this more of a sense of community. You know, you have a community that thinks, this is my hospital. We need to be very careful, and the nurses are part of the community, and the physicians are part of the community. And so violence within that setting is seen as violence against your own. And so I think part of it depends upon the extent to which the people in the community who, if you're talking about patients and families, the extent to which they are seeing the practice or they are seeing the hospital as part of their family, part of their community. When it's just seen as a BMF that's buying up all the property in the neighborhood and doesn't really care about the concerns of the community, I think the anger towards that institution gets played out against some of the workers.
0: Now, when a hospital worker or healthcare worker is a victim of a violent act, what is the hospital's role in providing medical and psychological services, Ms. Richardson?
2: There is supposed to be the option to get medical care, obviously, and with regard to follow-up a critical incident debriefing, there is supposed to be something that takes place. But I honestly have to tell you that I saw everything but that. It looks really good on paper, but if you if it's not there and it doesn't happen, what good is it? it- and that, that was my experience.
0: Dr. Mason, do you have any experience with possible success stories where the, the hospital actually did provide adequate services following an incident?
1: Not a hospital, but a home health care agency, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to remember the name, but I believe it was in New Jersey, where a nurse was assaulted on a home visit. I don't remember that it was by a patient or family or somebody in the community, but, but I think was left unconscious and they were very assertive in taking a look at, first of all, responding right away to making sure that anything she or her family needed was provided. They were not to worry about bills. They continued her pay. They, they reassured them that we are here for you, which I think is really, really important. Second is that they cooperated with the police in terms of trying to determine who the perpetrator was and have cooperated in any way they could, including trying to get messages out to the community. They have been willing to pursue legal action and support legal action in any way possible. They set up groups for the staff to meet and talk about how were they responding to this, what were their fear and concerns, and then they put together a policy on here is what we will do to prevent violence from occurring, here is what you can expect from us in terms of responding to violent situations. So you're a home care nurse, you're about to go on a visit, you don't feel safe, you're expected to tell the agency I feel like I need a companion on this trip, and they will provide it.
0: I'd like to thank our guests, Dr. Diana Mason and Charlene Richardson. We've been discussing workplace safety in healthcare settings. I'm Dr. Jennifer Shu. You've been listening to a special segment, Focus on Healthcare Policy, on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM 157. And thank you for listening.